Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Judges, chapter 4, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Deborah was a mom. Talk about multitasking. She knew how to multitask. She had to manage the home, deal with people and their problems, lead the country, bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never let Lapidoth forget he's a man. (laughs) I mean, this woman was something else. And God used her to lead and to judge the people, which raises the issue of women in leadership and leadership positions in the church. Now, before I make my comments here, let me just say, and I think it's important to remember this, the story of Deborah is not a forum for biblical equality. The story of Deborah is not a proof text for feminism in the Bible. I just happened upon a Christian show today And it was, you know, a women's conference and they were using Deborah and talking about how God is going to anoint the women in these last days and the women are going to go forward in the anointing of God as the anointing is coming upon them and in them. And they were going on and on just like the anointing of God came upon Deborah and going on and on and which inspired me to write this comment. The story of Deborah is not a proof text for feminism in the Bible. The story of Deborah isn't a theological treatise on the role of women in the church and in pastoral ministry. No, the story of Deborah is a story of a woman who used her gifts and dedicated her life for 40 years to serve God, country, and her people. That's what the story is about. Now, since we're here, let's just talk about it. Can we talk? Women... In leadership roles in pastoral ministry. Rodney, what do you think? What does the Bible say? It's an appropriate question. Well, I believe that the Bible teaches that a woman should not usurp authority over a man. This word authority, it's an interesting word. It means one who acts on his own authority. Now, now you got to understand this here. A woman should not usurp authority over a man. The word authority means that you should, it means that that of one who acts in his own authority. Autocratic is what the word means, or to exercise dominion over. I believe that the Bible teaches that a woman should not exercise authority over a man in the home or in church. Now, some time ago, we had Tammy Ritter. You know, Tammy Ritter, her and Clay are down in Wilmington. And she was our children's ministry director. 
I'll never forget this guy came up to me and said, hey, I mean, a woman shouldn't usurp authority over a man. And you've got a woman in leadership in uh, over children's ministry next door. What do you think about that, Rodney? I said, well, I think she's doing a fine job. He said, well, no, I mean, exercising leadership over men. I mean, there's, there's boys over there and there's a handful of men, he said. And I said, well, quite honestly, I got to say that this word authority really speaks of being autocratic, meaning she has no covering. And I would disagree with that because I'm the pastor of the church and thus she has covering. And so I don't really see a problem there. I don't she's not acting on her own. Actually, she's acting under the leadership of her pastoral covering, as well as her husband. So I don't see that as autocratic. I don't see that as one who is acting on their own. So I'm uncomfortable, quite honestly, because of what the scriptures teach. I am uncomfortable with women being ordained as pastors. I think to me, now, Some of you may argue, I realize it's not politically correct, but you guys know I often deal with things that are not politically correct. Saints, y'all should help me and say amen. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, uh, To me, I believe that it crosses the line of usurping authority and submission to Husbands, when women are ordained as pastors and when women senior pastor a church. I believe the scripture speaks against that. I won't go into it too much, but I think that women, according to the Bible, should not usurp authority over man and that a woman should be submitted. This whole word of submission, I call it the S word. I like this word, quite honestly. All the women are like, hmm. Oh, you don't want none of this. (laughs) I used to, you guys know, I used to play around with my wife all the time. She'd be saying something, I'd go, you better submit, woman. And she's always, she always, I don't think I do it as much anymore, do I, honey? She goes, but she said, you better submit, you submit me, I'm the man, I'm the man, yeah, I'm the man, I'm the man, you better submit to me, you better submit to me. And she go, yeah, and that same Bible says, you better love me. You better love me like Christ loved the church. <laughs> she got me. But this word submission, what does it mean? It means, if you're writing down, taking notes, it means to rank under. It means to rank under, and it has nothing to do with value and ability or inferiority and superiority. It has everything to do with priority and order. And even Jesus was under the headship and authority of his father, John 5, 19, without being inferior in any way. And I am appalled at what women are being taught and 
the, the message that's being communicated in our culture today, making women feel like, you know, you need to be, you know, a, a woman and stand up and have your rights and submit. What is that word? That means you're going to be a doormat. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that. You know, I joke around with my wife about submit, honey. You better submit. But the reality is, is that the Bible says, Rodney, you love your wife even as Christ loved the church. And I've never met a woman personally. I've never met a woman who was being loved like Christ loved the church who was not willing to submit to a man who was loving her. (laughs) Thank you, ladies. Thank you, ladies. (laughs) No, I mean, mean, you know, I've never met one. I've never met a woman who had a problem with the man loving her. And of course, when you're loving your wife, then she goes, yeah, honey, what, what you need? Can I get you some water? Get your slippers, sweetie. What can I get you? What woman do you know? I don't. So yeah, and then she submits, and then she says, yes, yes, I can, I can, I can follow this man and submit to this man because this man is following and submitted to the Lord. And who has a problem with that? And I, I spent a lot of hours at church, a lot of hours at church, always have, love the church. And, 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 you know, my wife was a wonderful woman. She never had a problem with that. Never. Matter of fact, she'd be like, honey, go to church. <laughs> honey, you, you grumpy, go to church. Go be with the Lord. I mean, not die, but, you know, go. Go, <laughs> go be with the Lord. <laughs> No. And, and you know what, what's really interesting about this text, what's really interesting here about Lapidoth we're talking about, is not necessarily what's said about Deborah. Did you notice this? It's not necessarily what's said about Deborah, but what's not said about Lapidoth. Lapidoth, his name is never mentioned in the Bible again. Ever. Now, you know where I'm going with this. It sounds like many men today and many husbands today. You know, statistically, more wives come to church without their husband than husbands without their wives. Statistics prove that. And why is it that more wives go out and find the church that the family's going to go to versus the husband, the one taking the leadership and going out to find the church that the family's going to be a part of? And why is it that ladies' Bible studies are always bigger than the men's Bible studies? Why is it that when you have a prayer meeting, women show up? Why is it that the largest church attendant is women on any given service? Why is that? Now, i got to be honest with you. Here at Calvary Chapel, it feels a little bit different. We have many, 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 many godly men here, and I love that. I think that has everything to do with the teaching of the word. Amen, saints? I think that's what that has to do with. But generally, in the country, in our culture, women are the ones out front taking the leadership. In terms of volunteers, more women volunteer to serve than men. Husbands, we need to be serving our wives. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 through 27, you read it in your own time. It says, husbands, the husband is the head of the wife. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Husband, lead your wife as Christ leads us. And God is saying, husbands, wake up and be more spiritual than your wife instead of being a spiritual weight 
on your wife and set your wife apart by teaching her the word. This is all in Ephesians. Set your wife apart by the teaching of the word and washing her in the water of the word of God. And wives, here's a word of exhortation to you. Let the man lead you. Let the man lead you. If he's trying to lead, let him. Well, I just don't like the way he reads the Bible. (laughs) Husbands, don't start a Bible study in Leviticus. Uh, Let me help you. Let let pastor help you. Don't do it. It'll kill her. No. You know, but, but wives, let your husband lead you. God's trying to bless you. By telling your husbands that they are to be the spiritual leader. And husbands, God is kicking you in the pants and telling you to get spiritual. And there are too many Lapidoths in the church today. Too many. Too many. Get with the program, fellas. Deborah, she was a judge. She was serving. Lapidoth, we don't know, he wasn't doing anything. And we never hear anything more from him. I hope that word encourages you all. There. (laughs) And in verse 6, and then she, oh, I got to speed up. And then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam. See, Deborah did this. From Kadesh and Naphtali. And said to him, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded Go and deploy the troops at Mount Tabor. That would be uh, the Valley of Megiddo, by the way. A lot of battles take place in the Megiddo Valley, uh, the Valley of Armageddon. So go and deploy the troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. And against you, I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hands. That's what God said and prophesied through Deborah. And apparently Barak knew this. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command. So Deborah's judge But it is clear. Did you notice this? It's clear that Deborah does not see herself as the leader in Israel. Notice the way she phrases the prophecy. Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded go and deploy the troops? You see, in other words, she says, Barak, you know that it's true. The Lord has told you that you are going to go and fight with Sisera and his 900 chariots. Barak You should obey God. And Barak says, Deborah, I'll go if you go with me. And if you don't go, I won't go. Can we say yellow belly? (laughs) Can we say girly man? (laughs) Wimp. I'm amazed at this guy. I mean, get the scene. We have this guy who is the general, Barak. His name means lightning. God has such a sense of humor. And he says to 
the queen bee, Deborah. Well, if you go, I'll go and fight. And if you don't go, I'm not going. And then she says, okay, but this is a disgrace because you won't stand up and be a man in glory. The glory and the victory and the battle won't go to you. It will go to a woman. Now, I'm sure he was not thinking Deborah should go because of her brute strength. I don't think so. I think he was saying, Deborah, if you don't go, I won't go because Deborah is the one that had the relationship with God. And how many people think, oh, I'm going to heaven because my parents are Christians. I'm going to heaven because I go to a good church and my pastor's a Christian, which I am. <laughs> or people, you know, trusting in someone else's relationship. You know, don't, don't do that. And that's exactly what he's doing. Notice in verse 11. Now Heber the Kenite of the children of Hobad, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the Tiberian tree at Zaim, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Hashereth Hagoim to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Hashereth Hagoim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Now notice, Heber was a Kenite. The Kenites lived in the land of Canaan. Moses married a Kenite woman, and thus his father-in-law was a Kenite. So Heber has separated himself from the Kenites and went to live in the area of Kadesh where Deborah and Barak or Barak headed for the battle. And so Sisera gathers his army and 900 chariots to the river Kishon. He heads out. But if God is for you, as we know, then 900 chariots can't be against you. Barak's army was defeated or defeated Sisera's army and killed all except one guy, General Sisera. We know the reason for the defeat. We don't have time to look at it too closely, but just let me give you a little bit. How was, the, how was uh, Sisera's army defeated? Look at chapter 5 again. This is Deborah's song, by the way, and this song is all about this event in chapter 4. So now look at chapter 5. How was the army defeated? Look at verse 4. Lord, when, and this is Deborah singing a song. Lord, when you went out from Zir, when you marched from the field of Eden, the earth trembled and the heavens poured, the clouds also poured water, the mountains gushed before the Lord. This Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In other words, how was the army defeated? By rain. God caused it to rain. The clouds rolled in and the rains came down. And when the rain came down, the chariots got bogged down in the mud. And God gave Barak the victory that day. And it is interesting because again in chapter 5, if you fast forward, it seems to indicate in verse 20 that the heavenly army fought for God's people. Isn't that interesting? Not only did God send the rain, but the angels in heaven was fighting with Barak. 
So who got the victory? God got the victory. It was a supernatural victory. Look at verse 17. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me and do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her in the tent, she covered him with a blanket. You see, Sisera's on the run. He sees her. She says, come in here. He goes in the tent. She throws a blanket or a mantle over him. And then he said to her in verse 19, please give me a little water to drink. I'm thirsty. So she opened the jug of milk, gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes in and inquires of you and says, is there any man here? You shall say no. Then Jael, Jael, Heber's wife took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down into the ground. And all that happened when he was asleep. Talking about a splitting headache. And so he died. Now... (laughs) The guys are the guys. Okay, the guys are probably trying to dig the chariots out of the mud. Sisera is running for his life. He sees afar off in the distance a tent, recognizes the people. It's Jael, Heber's wife, and so he's thinking, "Hey, I, I know you. I, I used to rule over you in another region." And so Jael goes out to meet him, and she says, "I'm in here, or come in here, come in here." And when he ran in, she covered him with a mantle. And then he said, stand at the door and I want you to lie if someone says, is there a man in here? And so after running, sweaty, cotton mouth, he says, ah, got any water? And she says, hey, here's some 2% fat-free milk. And she gives him some milk. And, 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 and the milk apparently, you know, settled his stomach, put something on his stomach, and he just went, <sighs> me, 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 me. He goes to sleep, and she takes a peg, because Bedouin women, actually during this time, it was their responsibility to put up the tents. All the women did all the work in that community, as it should be. And, uh, no, I'm just, I'm sorry. She took a peg and she drove the peg through his head. And apparently this woman was a very strong woman, an industrious woman, because the peg went through his head and into the ground. Now, what I find interesting about this story is that in verse 21, it says, so he died. I'm like, yeah. It's just amazing. And this is an amazing, amazing story. So the women, God using a woman to get the job done. You know, I read this story of a woman's brain costing less. And I'm going to close with this. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, a woman, I, I need some bodyguards up here, all right? <laughs> Can I? A woman's brain costing less. Listen to this. The patient's family gathered to hear what the specialist had to say. Things don't look good. The only chance is a brain transplant. 
This is an experimental procedure. It might work, but the bad news is that brains are very expensive and you would have to pay the cost yourselves. Well, how much does a brain cost? Asked one of the relatives. For a male brain, $500,000. For a female brain, $200,000. Some of the young male relatives tried to look shocked, but all the men nodded in understanding, and a few actually smirked. And then the patient's daughter asked, why the difference in price between male brains and female brains? A standard pricing practice, said the head of the team, women's brains have been marked down because they are used. All the ladies are like, yeah, you better be glad you redeemed yourself, man. You better be glad. And then in verse 22, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, come and I'll show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued. Did you see that? God did it subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Who got the victory? God got the victory. Who should get the credit always? God should get the credit always. Matthew chapter 5, you know it well. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who's in heaven. No matter what happens in your life, give God the glory for it. God subdued the enemy. God gets the glory. And then in chapter 5, The queen bee, Deborah, she sings about the glory of the Lord. You should read ahead. This is a great chapter coming up. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.